Welcome to Fintech Underground by Alpaca, a podcast devoted to stock trading API. From trading with algorithms to connecting apps to building out services, Alpaca is built for developers and traders. And with that being said, let's get started. Hello everybody, welcome back to Fintech Underground by Alpaca. In each episode, we aim to explore a different area within Fintech. I am incredibly excited for today's episode featuring Remy, the founder and CEO of Arbron, the world's first wealth container platform. As usual, I would like to introduce our host Yoshi, CEO and co-founder of Alpaca, an API stock brokerage. I really cannot wait to hear what you guys have in store for today's episode. Let's get started. Hey, welcome Remy for the uh, podcast. How are you, Remy? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yourself? Yeah, yeah great, great. Uh, you know, I appreciate this. Like, you know, we've been talking with different fintech entrepreneurs. And uh, I think I'm super excited to uh, talk with you today because really, like, I feel like, you know, you are in the space and like solving the problems where that's not necessarily visible, but like, yeah, super important to compose this, uh, you know, fintech ecosystem. Uh, So Remy, like, do you want to start off with uh, explaining uh, what you do at the Valban and like, you know, how you came up with the idea that what you do right now? So I went to Univ in, in France, uh, in, in Western France. This is also where I met Eric, my co-founder. So yeah, we had a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say companies, but websites together um, of, you know, iPhone apps, etc. Like we've always been creating and, you know, yeah, like websites, etc. tech businesses a lot together. None of them really got somewhere where they could raise a lot of money and, 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 and uh, hyper growth, etc. So we got to specialize in two different ways. So Eric kind of went to more on the, you know, applied math and uh, um, like mathematical finance side of things. Um, I did what's called financial engineering. And uh, and it's a bit of a lie. It's much more finance than engineering, actually. <laughs> and uh, essentially doing that, I wrote a master thesis on. So essentially it was like a, a model of a clearinghouse on blockchain. So that was 2015, 2016. So that was, you know, the first version of Ethereum that was very, very, very early. Everyone asked me if I bought a lot of Bitcoin back then. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't. And But essentially doing that, I talked to, you know, I think I got aware to all of, to all businesses in the world that were doing something with blockchain and capital markets at that time, or, you know, the vast majority of them, because there weren't many. And one of them, what they were trying to do was to essentially digitize private company shares to make them tradable. Uh, you know, in an easy way. And that's how I kind of got, you know, to work uh, in all that universe. I got to work for them. And then, you know, I saw that there were a lot of inefficiencies, not in creating normal companies, but in setting up uh, investment vehicles. So, you know, a lot of people were coming for, you know, they wanted to launch their own hedge fund or their own venture fund, their own, you know, PE fund. They wanted a club deal with friends, etc. And that's really where the pain starts. So, you know, it's an industry where there's absolutely no focus on, on the customer. That's that's really a concept that doesn't exist at all. It always goes from, you know, you to the client and never the, the other way around. So the experience is, is really, really, really awful. And, you know, the vast majority of people, you know, would agree that the experience is broken. It's extremely expensive, extremely hard. 
uh, extremely time consuming, which means that the vast majority of people that want to launch investment vehicles, they end up just not doing it because it, because it's so hard. So that's kind of when I talked, I called back Eric. So we, we had a blogger at that time together. So we were still in touch and said, I think it's an opportunity. And we got to focus full time on that. So the approach we took was to think deeply about what an investment vehicle is, you know, in essence, what's a hedge fund, a PE fund, a VC fund, etc. And I mean, we could swim, essentially, it's not that complex. So we took that and we sort of replicated that digitally. And what we are today, so, you know, we created the sort of digital version of, you know, asset holding legal entity, which is the wealth container, and you can go on our platform today and, you know, create an investment vehicle and start fundraising money from you know friends and family or more and you know start investing so yeah that's how uh, <laughs> that's what we do and that's how we got there yeah so i think like you know uh your website doesn't say uh really well the easiest way to launch your funds and spvs and i think that this is somewhat like normal between you and us is because like we know that like you know you have to raise funds you actually need to incorporate something Instead of like, oh, you just need to receive money from your friends and family and start trading or investing stuff. Could you explain a little bit about why even like, you know, you have to uh, set up this kind of legal entity? Because like, I think for most of the people, I think this idea of doing that itself is even foreign in a way. Uh, So could you like explain like why you even cannot just, you know, get the money from, uh, you know, your families and like, you know, friends and start trading, like what kind of... uh, uh, a legal hurdle that like, you know, people, you know, get into just like, you know, education one-on-one. It's a very good question, actually. So it's a mix of several things, but the main thing is that, you know, if you just ask your friend, oh yeah, can you wire me some money? I'll invest to you and I'll give it back to you. You know, you want some sort of comfort that <laughs> is going to give you back the money. And essentially this is the, you know, it's like a big contract, right? These are legal entities that says, uh, okay, you give me $100,000 and, you know, I'm going to take 20% of any profit I make you above that $100,000. Uh, so that's the first reason. There's also a reason of limited liability, which is that, you know, you're going to use this entity, this container, which is going to raise money and then invest on, you know, the stock market or anywhere. But there's a limited liability element, which means that whether it's you or your investors can't lose more than the capital that there is in this container. And that's, uh, yeah, that's a very, very important thing that, you know, people don't risk all of their personal assets. So yeah, I would say these are the two main reasons why it's, uh, why it's structured in that way. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, this is a serious problem. But I think that like a lot of people don't understand that pe- because like, you know, now FinTech applications, you can just send the money so easily and they feel like, oh, why don't you just, you know, send the money to me and like, I'm going to start trading. I feel like, you know, I actually get asked that kind of questions from uh, even our user base. Like, you know, okay, I'm making money in trading. So like, you know, I'm actually want to uh, uh, use that money from my friends and do trading. So I think like, you know, the first thing first, no, like it's, you really cannot do that. Right. And like, I feel like, you know, we need to explain that first, even to make sure that people understand, but in order to even do this without Valban, like, exactly like you know how much does it cost to even start this thing because like you know it sounds pretty serious okay i need to set up like you know this thing fun like you know you mentioned it but like the all the pain point like how much you know money usually you would take and how long like does it take this process without valbet i really hate that answer (laughs) 
but it, it, it depends. I think there's, it depends on the type of fund that you want. But let's say if you go for, you know, like the most affordable one. Um, so that would be like a, a fund in the US, I think, because it's less regulated in the US than it is in most of the places in the world. And if you go for, you know, cheaper law firm, cheaper fund administrators, etc. Um, so just yeah, to say who does what the law firm essentially they're going to write the constitution of your fund. So that's a document that says, uh, okay, the minimum investment is these, uh, your performance fees is 20%, you know, uh, there's a high watermark. So uh, high watermark is a concept where, you know, if you make a performance and then draw down and another performance, the, per the, the investor don't pay the performance fee twice. So yeah, the lawyers will do that. Then you, you go to see what's called a registered agent. That's the cheap part in the US where, it's someone that just, you know, register the company, essentially, like you would register, you know, your company as an entrepreneur in generally in Delaware. And then you need to hire what's called a fund administrator. So you need to think of it as a, an accountant for funds. And it's much more complex than traditional accounting and administration. So which is why they, it's a very, very specialized role. And you would need to open a bank account for, for the, the account as well. And then, you, you know, you would need also to open, you know, like a brokerage or a prime brokerage account, which I think is, <laughs> is what you guys do. And all of that, I would say the setup cost would sum up in total at, at least uh, thirty to $40,000. And the, you know, monthly fee, probably around to $3,000 a month. That's, yeah, if, we, if you go with the cheaper option everywhere. Wow. Like, I mean, it, it's, it's a, you know, you just listed out probably five or six things and it's just really, really a lot of, a lot of stuff that, uh, you know, the people would have to go through. And so like, I, I feel like you know, there are many other administration process in this thing. So, you know, how uh, do you think that technology can basically solve this question uh, and, uh, you know, the problem? Because I feel like, you know, a lot of administration process, you know, has to be with like, you know, dealing with the um, even regulators registering something. There are many like, you know, burdensome stuff. So like, you know, how are you solving that with the technology? And like, you know, how are you thinking about it will be like uh, as a Valban uh, product roadmap? We uh, specialize in what are called private funds. Uh, so private funds or hedge funds, private equity funds, venture capital funds, and then anything that's more single deal opportunities. So, you know, real estate syndicates, venture capital SPVs, that sort of things. These vehicles are typically unregulated. So they typically, at maximum, they're registered with the regulator. So it's not like an active regulation where they control everything you do. But they often, in the US, they're just not regulated at all. However, you yourself as an investment manager, someone that gives you investment advice, you know, you might need to be regulated depending on the country you're physically located in. In the US, it's not, I think as long as you don't do too many commodities, there's a, I mean, there's a sort of safe harbor for smaller, uh, you know, investment managers where it's not too hard to get registered. But essentially the complexity comes a lot from making a lot of different things match together. And the approach we took is that we really start from the clients, which is very unique in, uh, in that industry and I think in professional services in general, which means that we always think about, you know, what is an investment vehicle that our clients will like, you know, that we just answer the needs. Some people need small investment vehicles, some people need bigger ones, etc. But essentially we're trying to think how to do something, you know, that they're going to enjoy and that they're going to be able to be successful with. And then, you know, we kind of 
integrate all of the legal and accounting and registration and regulation behind that. And that's a very, very different way of doing things compared to what you typically see in that industry, where the, the classical way of doing things is it goes really from you where you know how to do something and you know you really trying to do something so it goes from you know the providers to the client and not the other way around and by doing things the way we do the i would say you know it's completely end-to-end integrated which is uh, very very unique you know which means you don't need to talk with 10 different providers and it means that everything works in symbiosis so for example when you make a subscription so like if you you know one of your friend invests fifty thousand dollars in your phone at least three things happening one there's a contract that's signed two there's a like an accounting transaction which is you know just a registry transaction and three there's like the settlement where you know you actually pay you know it's actually just a bank wire transfer in vorben these three things are all integrated they all work together um, and that's very very powerful and to reply more precisely to your question, um, I mean, that's what I, I was saying that initially, by starting from the client needs, you realize that the way that industry works today and the fund structures that we use is actually not fitted for the 21st century at all. So what I mean by that is that uh, fund structures, uh, so the legal profession, it's all about doing what everyone else has done before. Uh, and it's really like that by design. And the font structures, the way they are today, they are like that because they were like that yesterday. And yesterday they were like that because they were like that last week, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, you go back to the 19th century with that. Um, in the 19th century, this type of legal services was required by, you know, maybe 10 people in the whole world. I mean, I don't know, but very few people. So scale wasn't a consideration at all. The second thing is that computerization didn't exist, right? Computer didn't exist. So everything was, you know, handwritten or, you know, printed with the Gutenberg thing <laughs> at best. So which means that you needed to do things in a way that saves the number of time you're going to have to reproduce documents. Font structures were designed at that time. And because the legal profession is all about doing what has already been done, they are today still really much based on, you know, what was done before. And it's essentially extremely inefficient. And they don't take advantage from the fact that, you know, copy, recreating a document today, copy pasting, it takes, you know, under a second, right? It's, it's instant and it costs no energy, no money, nothing. So I would say, the, yeah, essentially technology can, uh, it helps you rethink from first principles how, you know, a fund structure should look like you know, what's really the best for you and your investors. Got it. Got it. So yeah, that makes sense. Like, you know, everything is changing around the you know world. Why this whole process of uh, setting up this, uh, you know, complicated funds is not really changing and that can be solvable by technology. You know, definitely that makes sense. And uh, I think like, you know, uh, from, uh, you know, our user base and this listeners as well, I think there are many traders and, uh, you know, algo traders as well. When, for example, like if I'm making a lot of money with my algorithms, on the, you know, hopefully Alpaca Trap uh, platform. And uh, <laughs> actually, I think I want to be a hedge fund. Like, how would you lead uh, her or him uh, into this process of uh, doing this? Like, you know, country base or like, you know, where it should be set up or like, you know, what is the usual, like, you know, one light, like I would say, like, you know, three paragraph explanation, like, you know, one paragraph explanation of uh, this is how you do. Uh, and uh, this is how we can help you to those like, you know, naive me 
but like I'm making money. <laughs> it depends on the stage, essentially. I think the first thing that's important to understand, and again, we're working hard to solve that and make it easier and easier, but there's still some non-investment, uh, you know, non-coding, non-cool uh, stuff, uh, you know, work to do when launching a hedge fund. And which mean, for example, you know, investors will ask, essentially, you need to fundraise. That's already a full-time job. Then, you know, there are ops to do, just like, you know, when you're launching a business, uh, you know, if you're launching, you know, you're super good in virology and you're launching, a, you know, antivirals biotech company. You know, if you're starting small, if it's your first company, it means, you know, you're going to have to kind of understand the accounting piece and all the admin piece as well. Uh, you're going to have to go out there and raise from investors. So it's the same, it's the exact same thing. Uh, you know, I would give the same advice that, you know, fundraising, you know, it's a full-time job and the ops takes a lot of time as well. So it makes sense to be, I think, two people, especially if, you know, fundraising is not your thing and you prefer to focus on, on the, uh, you know, core sort of algorithm. The, then in terms of the base, uh, it depends where people are located. So if you want to fundraise from um, investors in the U.S., there's, uh, it's, I think the best is just to do the fund in the U.S. In Delaware, it's also a little bit cheaper than most other places. Um, if you want to fundraise from international investors, non-U.S., the standard uh, funds domicile is uh, Cayman. And yeah, that's still, I think there are like 20 something thousand, you know, live hedge funds in Cayman. It's still really much the, you know, the place for um, international investor base. Got it. So I think the first thing is, it's just like a startup. You need a co-founder, basically. Ex I'll make you I, money. I'm good at making money. That's not enough. Exactly. So we've seen it a lot where people got a bit uh, overwhelmed by the amount of time it takes to pitch investors and to fundraise, especially at the beginning. I would say you, when you have a track record after like one or two years, I mean, we've seen it a lot with our clients where, you know, you raise just a few millions from friends and family. And for one or two years, you know, you build a track record and then suddenly you have a slightly larger family office or something investor that is really ready to make the leap. And, you know, all of a sudden you're like above 50 million. So I would say the, uh, the zero to one is extremely hard and sort of uh, one to two is in that industry is a, li is a little bit easier. Got it. Uh, so that makes sense. So it's like, you know, finding a co-founder because like, you know, at, you know, Alpaca as well, like, you know, I'm the, I guess like more the business side of the co-founder and I have Hitoshi who's doing that, you know, tech side, actually building things. So I guess like, you know, need at least like, you know, two or three people to actually start it because this is like a, you know, company that makes sense. And uh, exactly. Got it. Got it. And I, I think it's interesting. Like, so, okay. I want to raise like, you know, we'll dream big, right? No, I'm going to raise a lot of money because like, you know, this thing is going well. It's international. Oh, Cayman, uh, you know, Cayman, where is that? Like Cayman, that sounds <laughs> pretty serious or uh, like kind of weird. Like, uh, like what, what is a Cayman? Like, you know, like, uh, where is it, uh, you know, like how people <laughs> set it up, like, you know, where did it come from? I feel like, you know, those things are all foreign to a lot of people. So like, you know, do you want to explain about like, you know, how that was formed to be a Cayman, not in the different countries, but like, you know, somewhere in the Island, like, you know, how did that happen? <laughs> it's the Caribbean islands. They are British obviously territories. So they kind of, 
half independent, half they still under the I wouldn't say jurisdiction, but for a lot of stuff they still rely on on, on the UK. Like it's a British, you know, it's a British overseas territories. To be honest, I'm not sure in the complete history of it, but the reason why people go to Cayman is because people go to Cayman today. So that's the main reason is that you're going to raise money from family offices and their legal staff is used to that. The, in that industry, that's, you know, referring from what I was doing earlier, sometimes you're doing things the way they've always been done and it's just ridiculous. It doesn't really make any sense. But sometimes I think it serves you. And it's one case where it serves you because, you know, selling your fund to investors is already, you know, it's, I mean, you've been fundraising yourself, right? Fundraising is not the easiest uh, thing to do. It's actually, it's actually really hard. So if on top of that, you have to sell them a new fund jurisdiction they've never heard of, it just make your task even more complicated for no reasons. But the basic, um, so Cayman is a, like a tax neutral uh, jurisdiction which means that there are no taxes. So every investor will have, will pay taxes in its own country. So, you know, if I invest in a tax, you know, fund in Cayman, you know, like a hundred thousand dollars, and then that I, uh, you know, redempt three years later, uh, $200,000, you know, I'm going to pay UK capital gain taxes on, uh, I mean, it depends on the type of fund taxes are a bit more complex, but essentially I'm going to pay uh, UK taxes because I'm a tax resident in the UK on that. If you are in wherever you are, right? If you're in Japan, you're going to pay sort of Japanese uh, taxes and everyone's going to pay taxes in its own country. And that neutrality is the main reason why people started doing funds there because it's, it's just really convenient if you have investors from all over the world. Otherwise, you know, the, I don't know, the German would want to do it in Germany, the British would want to do it in the UK, et cetera, et cetera. However, there are a lot of small countries with no taxes. So where I came in in particular, I don't know how we started, but now the main reason is because everyone is already here. Right, right. I, I think like, you know, the Cayman, actually, like I personally think it's cool and sexy because uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it sounds extremely professional, but like, you know, it's good to hear about those uh, practical reasons why, you know, people do that. So yeah, I think that's great. So like, I, uh, you know, thank you very much for uh, you know, those more of, uh, you know, talking about Baba and what you do, but like, I really want to uh, go into your, you know, upbringing of, uh, you know, start doing a, you know, company, of course, like you're helping a lot of other entrepreneurs and fund managers. I feel like if they're also entrepreneurs are starting a fund, uh, or hedge yeah. fund right. Uh, and that you're helping those people, but like, uh, you know, even doing that company, like, you know, how uh, was it that like, you know, you wanted to start something new of course like you know you found that like you know the actual reasons and like problems from the ones something that you've been doing but like is this something that like you always wanted to do to start your own company uh or like you know, is this something just you know happened to be where you are right now yeah it's something i've always wanted to do uh since i'm really young i think you know my parents are kind of entrepreneurs i mean they run a restaurant together so it's not like a, you know, a big bank or a big tech company or anything, but I think, you know, the simple fact that, you know, he, he has an influence, you know, um, he had an influence on me as a kid because, you know, you just, they just don't have the same conversation as if they were, uh, you know, employees somewhere, even if it's at, at, at a, you know, smaller scale. And then, yeah, I don't know, growing up, I've, I've always been really, really interested, you know, in businesses and in technology and in creating new things. And especially, you know, I've, I was always, since I'm really young, always on, you know, my computer. And, you know, I always really loved, right, that it, it's, a, I think we 
living in an amazing era where you know you can go on your computer and sell things all across the world and it kind of allow everyone to do what they love which i think is uh, uh, really uh, exciting so uh, for example so you mentioned you were in japan right now and uh, so my father was looking uh, so I was back with my parents for Christmas at these uh, YouTube videos where it's a guy essentially that films himself making, you know, like, um, you know, like Japanese John tree, you know, in wood, etc. Yep. Uh, and, and he loved and, you know, he spent hours <laughs> looking at that. Uh, and this guy, I don't know the name of the YouTubers, I, I forgot the name, but he makes like dozens of millions of views, right? He probably lives, lives out of that. And you're thinking, you know, it's, because it's not like he's living out of Japanese jointry, right? These business, these people that want to watch someone do Japanese jointry. Oh, you know, how niche of a market is that? Thanks to the internet, it just has access to all of the people that would watch that all across the world. And he can live out of it, which I think is really beautiful. And yeah, essentially, yeah, growing up, I've always wanted really to start a business. Uh, later on, so we had our first actual company with Eric, my co-founder. So it was a Tweedy, it was a... Um, like a fashion intelligence app on iPhone where, you know, you could shop any clothes in the world from your phone, etc. They were, you know, you could do a lot of things, rank things, have your favorites list, say what you like and you don't like, and you would have ranking coming up every week, etc. By the way, that is so different from helping, you know, yeah. the new hedge funds, starting a hedge fund, by the way. <laughs> yeah. No, and it's actually funny you saying that because we... Sometimes I don't understand why, why we did that, you know, we just for the, oh yeah, there's an opportunity. It's not too hard to do, you know, a lot of uh, pop sugar, et cetera. A lot of companies propose API where can, you can crawl off the clothes from Inditex from everyone. And it was a lot of fun. I mean, it, it didn't go really far. I think we had like maybe 10,000, you know, daily users at, at peak, but it was a lot of fun, right? We did everything ourselves. So it was, it was a, you know, super good uh, learning experience. And, you know, when we saw, you know, it wasn't really going anywhere. We stopped uh, that. Um, and I think we realized we don't really like fashion all that much. And actually, when we stopped, everyone in Univ was like, we never understood why you guys were doing that. You guys are so unfashionable. <laughs> yeah, so like, you know, for the restaurant to the, uh, uh, you know, fashion app to, uh, you know, through actually seeing in this, like, you know, crypto and, uh, you, know, up, up, you know, uprising of the, you know, fintech. I think, like, you know, one of the questions that I always want to really ask is that, uh, you know, this industry related to finance, there are regulations and, uh, you know, complexities. Of course, like what you do itself, registration is a really a lot of complexity, but it's not like, you know, building an app, just regular fashionable app, right? Yeah. What you provide is, uh, you know, extremely serious service. So there are a lot of things that you have to worry about and care for. So is it worth it to be in this finance and fintech sector? This is something that I ask always myself, and also like want to ask to any fintech related entrepreneurs, is it worth it to be in this industry? It's a good question, actually. I've been thinking about that, you know, recently because I mean, in our case, like the, as Vauban, you know, when we launched, even from the first landing page, the concept market fit was extremely strong. Like, you know, we had dozens of people that were like, what you guys are doing is amazing. You're solving my worst nightmares. And you know, it was that strong. And, you know, actually, you know, our funding round were uh, up to date, were mostly, you know, largely invested by people that were our clients, right, um, as angels. So this is really how strong, you know, the concept and product market fit was. And it's just amazing, right? When you have that type of feedback, you, you can really do anything and <laughs> you can stop sleeping for, for, for months if, if necessary. 
Um, but I would uh, agree with you that it's, it's just not the easiest place to start for many reasons. Like first, as you mentioned, there's a lot of regulations, which adds a lot of complexity. Second, and I think on your side, like the back office of what you guys do, you're probably seeing that a lot. There are a lot of extremely archaic process, but that people, I wouldn't say they love them, but they kind of learn to live with them and it became a standard. And if you want to change things, it can be a little bit harder than other industries that are ready to move faster. So, I mean, it's definitely worth it. And I take a lot of, you know, happiness on a day-to-day basis out of, you know, empowering people to launch their own investment vehicles. And generally, you know, I think as a whole, we're democratizing the access to alternatives assets. And, and I think it's a great thing, right? Because it means that people are invested in products that yield more money for them and their family, which, you know, is important rather than, you know, the typical fixed income savings, which we don't really, which don't really yield anything anymore. Uh, it also means people invest in things that they love and that they feel more, more connected to than, you know, maybe investing in bonds on the stock market, uh, et cetera. So, yeah, I would say it's worth it. Um, but, you know, if someone would come and would say, hey, yeah, uh, you know, I want to, start my fintech company straight out of uni you know i would probably say it's just it's not the easiest place to start like it's a tough ecosystem to evolve in i would agree with you what do you think yourself yeah like i always like think that like it's really hard to do but like you know you're right uh because it is hard i feel like it's really worth it uh you know doing this thing but you know you know thank you very much for sharing your insights on this and uh uh you know we we need to wrap it up but um uh, you know i really appreciate sharing your uh, you know, why you do, uh, you know, at the Valven. And also, like, you know, I feel like, you know, that this really helps a lot of people who want to start a hedge fund because a lot of people dream about starting a hedge fund, but it's just so unclear and non-transparent about what to do. And I think, like, you know, you gave us so many tips and uh, behind-the-scenes things that we have to care about. And actually, we don't have to care about that because Valven exists. And, you know, where, where can we... <laughs> Where can we find you at the Balvin website and like, you know, uh, where that all the listeners, including ourselves, like, you know, should find you. It's just the website would be the good place to go for just, you know, get started. Yeah, uh, the, the website is a good place to get started. So at Valvan.io, V-A-U-B-A-N.io, uh, you know, you can uh, just shoot me an email at Remy, R-E-M-Y at Valvan.io. I do my best to reply uh, quickly. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. You know, thank you very much for this, Remy. Uh, you know, I again appreciate uh, participating in this podcast. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, we really enjoy the conversation for this. Uh, you know, again, like, and uh, you know, I'm sure like we'll be chatting soon for a bunch of our, uh, you know users uh, who wanted to start the uh, you know hedge fund. You know, thanks again, awesome. man, Remy. Thanks a lot, Yoshi. Thanks for having me. Cheers. I also wanted to thank all of our listeners for joining us today on this episode of FinTech Underground by Alpaca. As always, check out all of our past episodes on all major streaming platforms podcasts can be found. Thank you.